Good morning. It's good to see you guys. I don't know where you guys have been for the last few weeks, but I've been here. Um, if this is your first time here or your third time in a row here, my name is Ricardo Stewart. Um, I am one of the pastors here. I used to do a book with the preaching, and we'll continue to do such this morning. Uh, we're going through a series through the Psalms, and so if you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and turn, turn to Psalm chapter 13. That's where we're going to be at this morning, uh, Psalm 13. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Keep your hand raised really high, and one of the ushers will walk down your aisle and give you a copy of God's Word. And if you don't own a Bible, go ahead and keep the one that we are handing out. It is our gift to you so that you can grow in an understanding and a knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I know it's been said already, but happy Father's Day to all you fathers and grandfathers here. Um, if you haven't stopped by Children's Ministry, we're giving out beers to everybody who's a dad. Um, so that's how we get down around here. It's 120. We're like, let's get it, right? And so it's root beer. So if you have diabetes, don't drink it. Um, and so, happy Father's Day. Now, listen, here's the deal. We go happy Mother's Day and everybody claps. Like, moms get all the love. Like, moms do everything. Like, we go happy Father's Day. It's like, come on, hurry up. The game's coming on later. Right? It's a good thing for Father's Day. So why don't you guys give it up for the fathers that are in this room. And if you, if you haven't had your beer already, there's, there's children's ministry. Uh, it literally, I, I was going to bring it on stage, and I thought, ah, oh, it's going to be uncomfortable to have this. Even though it's a root beer, they have this bottle. People are going to get offended and, and so forth. Like, how come I didn't get one? Or, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't want to do it. But they also have, like, um, what are those things called that you guys got? Like, it's a bottle opener and a bunch. Uh, uh, what's that? It's a multi-tool. <laughs> so I'm just saying, um, the women put in work today. And so we're going to have to figure out what to do next year for Mother's Day. We're, I don't know what we're going to do for, for you guys. Probably take your kids away and give you a couple days. Or we, don't, we, don't know what the, we don't know what the equivalent is. So, all right. So a few things I got to get you guys up to speed on. First thing is, this week, Monday, last week, so Monday through Friday, we had our second annual All of Life Kids Camp. And so if you're not familiar with that and you grew up around church, uh, most churches call it Vacation Bible School. We call it All of Life Kids Camp because we can't think of anything else other than All of Life. And so we've just applied it to our children. Um, it really is a blast. And that is Caitlin Anderson, who is our children's director here, does a phenomenal job with a team of very qualified, strong, gifted leaders um, and the women that she has that oversee uh, this camp. And what we try to do with the students is expose first through fifth graders to an understanding of culture. So our verse this week was John 3.16. Um, nothing better than hearing a bunch of young kids memorize the verse in English, and many of them memorize it in Spanish, um, and then talking about how God's love reaches, reconciles, and redeems all cultures. And so we looked um, the first day, we had Chinese culture, and we did a lot of Chinese uh, cultural arts. We had people from the Chinese church come in and speak to our kids. The next day, it was Navajo Nation. The next day, it was Mexico. Literally, we had pinatas in here. Uh, we played a lot of soccer. Um, we learned songs in English and Spanish. We had, a, we, we had an absolute blast. And then we went to ASU, which was a lot of fun because there's a lot of cultures there, and we have to indoctrinate our kids about Sparky, and so we, we, did, we did that as well, and only in this church can we say, go devils, and, and somehow that, that be godly, and so we, we, we had a lot of fun doing that as well, and it was an absolute blast, and so a few highlights, um, not only were we able to partner with West Mesa, which is our bilingual congregation, and a few other congregations, but we had two kids that we know for sure that are not from families that, that go to church and know Jesus, who these particular students gave their lives to Jesus, trusted in Jesus for salvation, and that in itself is an absolute blast, and um, I'm thankful to the Lord that we got a chance to be a part of it, yeah. Yeah. And they let, me, they let me teach with the kids, and so as long as they continue to let me do it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to do it. Now, here's what we did, though. 
before every message, we actually had this dance-off where kids would come up and then dance. And I was wondering if on Sundays, <laughs> if we can get a couple adults to come up here, you know, get cracking for a little bit, and then we jump. No? You guys are not? You guys are like, we can barely clap and sing at the same time. Like, how are we, how are we going to do that? All right. So, so that was that, and that was all of life. Now, so I have been gone the last few weeks for different reasons. Um, one of it is a while ago, a while ago, probably three and a half weeks ago, I got a phone call uh, from a friend that said, um, there's this opportunity where you can get invited to, with a f- few pastors, we would like for you to come to Rome, to the Vatican, to have a conversation with the Pope, right? And so you get a phone call like that, and you're like, ah, you got me, that's funny, click, right? <laughs> and it was a legitimate deal, and so it's like, you got to make a decision if you want to go in 24 hours, you should pray about it. I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, God says, cool, let's go, right? And so... <laughs> Let's, let's make this thing happen. And so we, we were, uh, myself, Tyler Johnson, who's a lead pastor of Redemption, and a few other pastors uh, throughout the United States, a few here in the, in the Valley, were in the Vatican having a conversation with the Pope, as surreal as that sounds, because it, it really was. And so we jumped on a plane, we went over to, to Europe, you know, we did our Europe thing in Rome and so forth. And um, so here's how this, this, this rolls. And i got to say this, so that you don't think that uh, somehow, like, your pastors made it. There's no such thing as making it in ministry, right? And so it's not like... Uh, I got invited because, like, anything special about me, right? You guys know me. I'm very average. Look around. So are you. Um, and and so, so that, that has nothing to do with anything. It was literally a friend of mine knew a guy who wanted to have coffee with me, and that coffee led to, hey, there's some um, Catholic priests um, and some Protestant pastors. We want to get together just to pray in the name of Jesus. We're not going to try to convince them to become Protestants. We're not gonna, they're not going to convince us to become Catholics. Meanwhile, I'm going, I'm going to probably trying to convince them, but that's all right. And so we'd go to these meetings and so forth. Now, from there, this particular guy named Joe said, hey, um, my good friend who's doing a lot of the same things in Argentina has been doing this for years because if you don't know, the culture of Protestants and Catholics and other countries like Argentina are intense, and there's persecution, and it's very violent, and it's ugly, and it's messy. And so this particular um, Protestant pastor, evangelical pastor, has been making relationships with many of the priests there, and one of them were the archbishop of Argentina, who happens to be now Pope Francis. And so Pope Francis said, um, it'd be great to get some of these younger pastors that you're talking about in the United States to come over and, uh, and meet with them and, and, and so forth. And so that's how, that's how it came about. It was just literally I knew somebody who knew somebody who probably shot somebody, and somehow <laughs> I got in. And so it was super, super, super a blessing. We talked about family and marriage, about pastoring, about persecution, and a wide array of things, um, and it was, it was, it was surreal. I, and I can't give you all of my thoughts now. I'm trying to figure out how to put them down in writing. So I did bring a few pictures. Um, this first picture is the Pope putting out his hand and me going like, bro, you don't think I'm going to kiss that ring, do you? <laughs> and, um, and, and, then, and then I went in and, and shook his hand. So. And um, by the way, someone asked, is that a book you're giving the Pope? Listen, you don't give the Pope a book. Um, <laughs> The Pope has given me a book uh, that he wrote, and, um, which I already read on the plane on the way over there, but I wasn't going to say, hey, Pope, I already read this. Is there another one that you can, <laughs> that you can give me? So anyways, it was uh, really exciting. The lady in the background, she's, she's like kind of shocked herself, I guess, to the left there. Um, and and so, so anyways, that was my experience, and, and, and I'm really thankful uh, for that. So someone told me I should tell you guys. So there you go. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, didn't bring back any holy water or anything like that. 
So still just the same box wine that we have for wine today for communion. So <laughs> enjoy. So with that, right, um, and this will lead us into our text this morning, is we get on the airplane, and so it's Tyler and myself, and when we get on the airplane and we get to the state side, we finally get some internet access, and he turns his phone on, and it's, it's about, I don't know, 6 o'clock, um, I don't know, p.m. or something in New York City. And Tyler shows me his phone, and he says, look at this. And then we hear about all the shootings that happened in Orlando um, at the nightclub that had happened that morning. And so we sit there, and I'm reading this, and I'm reading it, and I'm reading in our, in our, in our layover in New York City or, or Chicago or wherever we were at, and, and it's it, it breaking my heart. So some of you may or may not know this. So I have a brother who is homosexual um, and identifies with that community. And so I call him, and I said, man, I can only imagine what this is. I have no idea. And so we have a long dialogue about it. And, and part of it is, is I'm always curious to go, what, what, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts and so forth? And what do you think about people like me? Because he's going to... My brother and I are very honest, and so he's going to give me some very honest opinions and talking to other people in that particular community. And, and, and as I begin to read more and then read more and read more, my heart just became heavier and heavier and heavier. And here's why. It's because you read that, and then you read what happened with the singer from The Voice that happens in Florida. Then you hear what happens to the little child with the alligator, and then you hear everyone just talking. Right? So one side says, this is what we need to think about Islam, right? And then some people say, oh, this is not political, this is not political, but guns, 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 no guns, more guns. And, they, and everybody is talking about who's wrong, who's in the right, it's a Christian right, or, but no one's saying, hey, there's 50 people who died and 53 who were injured and a little baby who's gone and parents who are both being blamed and yet who are sad, right? And then you come to a day like Father's Day, which has its own range of emotions, where, where you have had a great father, which is amazing, um, that you have been a good father, which is amazing, or you've had a distant dad, an absent dad, an abusive dad, or whatever dad you've had, there's just a whole range of emotions that comes into this, right? And at the very, very heart of it, I think as believers, those of us in this room who are followers of Christ, when we read these things, we cannot become desensitized to it or numb to it and just move on. But at the same time, we can't think that we know what God is doing in this. And so you hear people just kind of taking sides and like, well, what does the Bible call us to do in situations like this? Now, I think it's fitting, somewhat providential, that the way it lined up is that this particular week we are teaching our first psalm in the, the series of psalms on a psalm of lament. A song in which the people of God not only sing adorations about the character of God, not only sung praises about the character of God, but begin to lament circumstances that they found themselves in. Circumstances and situations individually and also communally of saying, God, where are you in the midst of this? And know what I love about it? God just accepts it. This is not a theological treatise of saying, here's what we know to be true about God completely. This is a man named David who, who we know as a man of the God's own heart who's going through an, a, a terrible time. We don't know exactly what it is that David's going through, but I believe it's something that the scriptures, the Holy Spirit has preserved in scriptures for people like us in such a time like this that we may understand, is it okay for the church not to be okay? Is it okay for us as people not to be okay emotionally in, a, in situations that we have um, nationally and even personally with the highs and lows of the way that, uh, that we live our lives. So we're going to look at this, this psalm of lament. Um, and what we've been doing with the series in Psalms is looking at the Psalms as so much of that, not so much the exegete exactly what it says, but how is it teaching us to pray? 
It's a how-to series. Like, how does this teach us how to pray at moments like this, to lean in and to walk with the person of God, namely through Jesus Christ? So would you pray with me, and we'll jump into our text this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you have not left us without witnesses. And not just witnesses to your saving grace and mercy, Lord, but also showing us that you are a God who delivers, that you draw near. And so, God, I pray as we look at this psalm from David, Lord, that you would shape us, you would teach us how to pray, that we would be a praying people dependent upon you. God, that we would see that our true enemies are not in politics, our true enemies are not in people's choices, our true enemy is sin, Satan, and death, and Jesus is ultimately the vic- has the victory for us. God, we pray your spirit would lead us and your spirit would guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. In, in, David's, in David's psalm here um, and teaching us how to pray, there's a progression that happens here. The first thing that we see is he prays and we can pray for God's presence in our life when we sense that he's distant. And then he progresses from there to not only just saying to sense God's presence, but he prays for God's perspective, meaning my perspective could be faulty, but I would love to have the eyes of God. Ultimately, my eyes enlightened to see things the way that they are in God's eyes. And then from there, he moves from presence perspective to God's power. That is deliverance, his salvation, his steadfast love in which he brings for his covenantal people because he loves them. But first, he starts first with his presence. Chapter 13, verse 1. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all all, all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Here's the first part. He asked this question, how long, four times. How long, how long, how long? Like, where are you at, God? Why are you hiding your face from me? Now, here's what you need to understand when you, when you enter into wisdom literature. Now, wisdom literature is a part in the Bible that you see in Job, that you see in Proverbs, that you see in Psalms and such, that begins to speak about how we are to live our life. This is not ultimately um, David saying, this is great theology. No, no, this is a prayer. And so when it comes to us seeking God's presence, here's what we need to understand about prayer. You don't need to have your theology accurate to be a good prayer. Like God can sort all that out. Like David's theology here is not good at all, right? Like, Like David could say, well, we could go to David and we could say, David, don't you know God's omnipresent? He's, he's there. You just can't see him. And so don't talk like that. No, no, no. And neither is God. God doesn't do that. God can take your prayers. It's like the parent. Like you ever been around a mom or a dad and their kid who could barely speak runs up and just starts speaking in gibberish. And you're like, what did that thing say, right? And they're like, oh, he wants to know what time law and order is going to be on it before dinner, after dinner, and so forth, right? And you're like, how did you get that, right? And it's like, I knew what he wants. He just says it that way. He wants it, do not do Like that's the thing that he wants, right? Like they can understand because they know God could sort through all of the theological things. Of course, God is omnipresent. I think David knows that. Because other Psalms, he says, where can I go from you? If I wake up, you are there. When I fall asleep, you are there. He gets that theologically. He's talking about his feelings. He's talking about the wide range of emotions that we go through as men and women of God. And emotions can't go, because I have good doctrine, because I have theology, my emotions are nowhere around me. No, no, no. Like he goes, God, here's my situation. I don't sense you. And there's not a man or a woman of God in this room who has not experienced that before. That experience where you sense that the presence of God is not with you, that whether it be whatever trial or circumstance that you find yourself in, whether it's spiritually, whether it's physically, that you're going, I just do not sense the presence of God. Like there's moments where we have these mountaintop experiences, but the reality is we live in the valley. 
And most of our life sometimes is these many ups and downs where we experience spiritual dryness, where we're sapped because of the things and circumstances that happen in our life that we want to cry out with David, Lord, how long? Like, like how long is this going to last? Like, when are you going to show your face again? Like, I need to see you. He's not being cynical. He's being honest. He's being honest. Think about that. You could be honest before God. We'll fake it till we make it in front of people. Hard things. Oh, blessed. I am highly favored. Right? <laughs> not David. David, David said, how long would you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul, meaning it's not good? It's not good. And so we see, one, that we don't need to have our theology all intact when we begin to come to the Lord in prayer. We don't need to know all the facts and so forth when we come to the Lord in prayer, is that we come to him and say, Lord, we need to sense your presence. We need to sense the presence of your Holy Spirit. And the second thing is equally as important. It's okay not to be okay. Like, this is King David. Like, this is the king of Israel. This is the man in whom God says, this is the man after my own heart, which I've always loved. He didn't give himself that nickname. We will give ourselves a nickname. Like, hey, call me a man after God's own heart. Yeah, that's my new name, right? No, no, no. This is God saying, this is the man after my own heart. I'm godly man, made his mistakes. But what he gives us here is he's not okay. And we've been there before. So this time last summer, worst summer of my life, Right? And I know some of you guys were there. I lost my, was, had just reconciled a relationship with my cousin and, and his family and got to meet his wife and his daughter. And, and then a week and a half later, he died in his sleep, 28 years old. And then the same time where we're flying, I'm flying to go to this funeral. My wife's here. And then I get a phone call from her dad because he can't get a hold of her. That her mom's in the ICU. And then so she's got to fly to Sacramento. So I'm in Mississippi. My, my boys are here staying with the family here in Tempe. And my wife's in Sacramento. And her mom's in the ICU. And, you know, you start to think the worst there, right? And I know I'm a pastor and everything. I'm supposed to be optimistic. No, I'm thinking, like, this is all bad. Everything that's bad is going to happen right now. God, where are you? And I remember thinking, even when all of that was over, my mother-in-law's doing fine. She's going to be here today soon. She's going to take me out for my Father's Day. She's probably going to get me a beer, root beer. And so there's, it's great. But there, 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 is, there, there was this spiritual depression. That's the best way to be able to describe it. And everyone say, how are you doing? How are you doing? It's like, listen, I'm not doing all right. Like, you know, but I'm, I'm all good, but I'm not all right. And that's okay. David's saying, Lord, I, I, I don't even think you're here. I don't even think you hear me. God can take that. God can take that. We can't help but see the violence and the evil in our world, in our families, in our relationships, and the, the brokenness and the things that are fractured and not at all think, God, are you here? Are, are you with me? Like, is it okay for a follower of Christ to have those sort of doubts or those sort of questions? Listen to me. God is big enough for any question that we can bring him. He may not give us the answers we want, but he always gives us what we need because he always gives us himself. And what we need is a sensing of the presence of God in our life, no matter what the circumstance may be. Amen? And so, God, like, would you enter in? And so that's what David does in this, this first part. He says, Lord, just, just show me your face. Like, let me just see your face. Let, let, me, let me experience your presence, God. And then he, then he goes from there to actually beginning to ask God, to give him a new lens. Read with me in verse 3 and 4. He says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Remember, remember this is poetry again. David's saying, okay, do something. Consider me. 
And when he says consider me, consider literally means look at me. Like look at the situation that I'm in right now, God. Like I, I don't only just need your presence, I need you to see exactly what's happening in my life. Because God will. Because he cares. And he loves us. He's a good father. He draws near. He says, look at me and light up my eyes. Now, when he says light up my eyes, he's saying, I'm looking at a circumstance right now, and it ain't looking good. Like the way that we look at things, we have our own perceptions, and we have our own perspectives of things. And then what we need to do as followers of Christ, we need to step back, regardless of what we read in the papers, regardless of what people are posting and tweeting and blogging about, and say, God, what is your heart, and how do you see these things? How do you see the things that are in my life? How do you see the things that are in this world? Lord, this is your world in which you have promised the redeemed. You are sovereign. You are good. Salvation belongs to you. How do I enter in? David gets there. So far, God hasn't jumped in and like, rescued him out of his problem. And yet, he doesn't have the cynical nature, even though he is downcast, even though he is lamenting. He does not withhold an understanding of a hope that's in the Lord. And so he pushes in through prayer for presence and saying, Lord, give me a perspective. Like, open up my eyes that I may see. Perspective changes things, guys, when we have a clear perspective. So, so it's Father's Day. And I woke up this morning, like, just forgetting it was Father's Day. And I, I tried to get up, and, and I went for a run in my neighborhood. Seven minutes, but a run nonetheless, right? And so my neighbor's out watering the grass early. What is she doing out at 530 in the morning? I have no idea. But she's watering the grass. She's probably, never mind. She's watering the grass. And, and she goes, hey, happy Father's Day. And I'm like, oh, happy Father's Day. You <laughs> Thank you, right? That's just like the natural tendency. I was about to tell this lady, happy Father's Day. Um, but there, I was like, oh, it's Father's Day. And so I begin to think about, you know, Father's Day. I'm going to call my dad today and so forth and make sure to tell him happy Father's Day. But me and my father have not had a great relationship, right? And I'm just telling you this. I'm 33 years old, and I still got daddy issues. It just, it just is the way it is. And we're fools to think that we're not reacting to something that happened in our lives. I mean, I keep saying, oh, no, no, no. I don't, I don't treat my kids the way I treat them and react to my dad. I'm just reading the scriptures and letting the scriptures dictate my life. Hallelujah, right? And here's the deal. Like, I am around my kids as much as I can. I hug my little boys as much as I can. When I come home and they're already asleep, I go in their room, I kiss them, I, I, I hug them, I kiss them on the lips, I hug them again, I tell them I love them, the whole deal. I'm at every game that they play, I try to be at every practice that, they, that they're at, I'm, I'm trying to live life with them. People say, well, do you, are you doing that because your dad wasn't there? Absolutely. I kiss my kids because my dad didn't kiss me. I tell my kids I love them because my dad didn't tell me that. Now, is it the right thing to do? Absolutely. And I was thinking about this the other day because my mom and, you know, our families are out of the state, me and, my, me and my wife. I was like, man, if the boys leave, now I know why my mom and them are like, when are you going to come see me? If they leave, I'm going where they go, right? What happened? Oh, the Lord's calling me to wherever they are, right? <laughs> <laughs> now, my dad and I, we, we, just had, we, just had, we, just, we just had beef, right? And the part that saddens me is my oldest son is seven. When I was seven, my dad was my hero. I mean, we went fishing together, the whole deal. We did the, the, the dad-kid thing. It was amazing. And I look at the way my oldest son absolutely loves me. We drive separate cars here. After church today, if I say, who do you guys want to go with? Eli, our youngest, is going to go with Holly all the time. He's a mama's boy. And, <laughs> and Noah's, Noah's going to always want to go with me. And, and, I, and I know I could have two decisions against him and against his mom that can put him in the same position that I'm in today. B because that's exactly what began to happen. And what happens is when you get distance from your, our family member, in this case, my dad, you, you have this, 
you know, you have tears. You know, you're sad. Kids are sad. They, they wish they had their mom. They wish they had their dad. But what happens is when you know that your dad is still alive and yet you just don't have that relationship is that those tears, they begin to calcify and they get hard. And then and that sadness actually turns to anger and the anger turns to bitterness and the bitterness turns to hatred. And once it's hatred, you could care about the separation. And that's exactly what happened to me. I didn't talk to my dad for about two and a half years. God saved me. I'm 22 years old. God opens up my heart. I begin to understand what forgiveness was and how he had forgiven me of all my sins. And I knew God, as clear as day, had said, there was somebody in your life who you have not forgiven. And I knew exactly who it was. And so I began to rebuild that relationship with my dad. And there was one moment where I went back to California to hang out with my dad. And, and it was amazing just getting this perspective. And I said, how were you raised? What was your dad like? And he began to tell me what his relationship was like as his dad. And it gave me a completely new perspective. It didn't, it didn't cure all my, my wounds. It didn't heal all my past or anything like that. But it did give me a perspective that I can go, oh, I understand better now if I see through your eyes. And I see through your lens now. And the reality of this, me and my dad don't have a crazy great relationship, but we have a relationship. And the weird thing is, I mean, you guys meet him. Some of you guys, we're, we're just alike. <laughs> like, we are. I mean, he's handsome. He's good looking. He's tall. <laughs> hilarious guy, this guy. He, he actually really is. He's a really, really funny guy. Inappropriately funny, but funny nonetheless. And, and, um, and you know, and you guys get this experience. You get older and you start hearing your parents come through your mouth. Like, especially when you start having kids. Like, I, I, close the door. The air condition's on. Oh, shoot. Like, I've heard that same phrase, you know. Like, it's just the, you know, you're going to be inside of the house or you're going to be outside of the house. Like, and it's like, ah, you know. Or the worst is when you look in the mirror, you're like, I'm him. Having my dad's perspective didn't change the circumstances, but it did change my posture within the circumstance. Like, I get it. When David begins to ask for God to light up his eyes, it's not that just God will change the circumstance. Now, don't get me wrong. Prayer does change circumstances, but not always. But prayer will change your posture within the circumstance and your perspective. That we begin to see things the way that God sees them. That we begin to understand the patience that he brings through the Spirit. That we begin to understand he is still on the throne no matter how chaotic it is here. That though things are out of our control, they are not out of his control. He is still sovereign and he is still good and he is still God. So David takes this progression. Presence of God. Let me sense the presence. And then he prays, Lord, can you give me your perspective? And so what we should be asking for in the situations in light of our country and lamenting is going, can you just give me your perspective? Can we not start calling out parents and saying they should have been watching their kids, they should have been doing this? Can we not just look at politicians and saying is it guns or no guns? Can we not look at people's sexual preference? Can we say, Lord, can we just have your presence? Can we have your perspective that we may actually be the people of God and the place of God in the time of the world's greatest needs and pray? Like it's, just, it's just simple as that, and Lord, ask your perspective of these things. So, so David, David is our guide here. Presence, perspective, and he concludes here with asking and trusting in the power of God. Verse 5, he says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And I love this because he just said, my enemies are going to say, aha, my enemies are going to get it. And sometimes as, as Christians, right, and I know there's a lot of you in this room that are not Christians, but sometimes as Christians we think we have enemies, and our enemy is the culture. The culture is not our enemy. Nowhere in scriptures does the Bible ever say, watch out for the culture, right? Because we're a part of it. When it talks about an enemy, it's not political parties, it's not ideologies, 
Listen, the enemy that the Bible talks about is sin, Satan, and death. Sin, Satan, and death. So when we find ourselves going through circumstances, sometimes it's because they're a direct result of our own sin. Like, believe it or not, you can sense a distance from God because of your sin and the consequences of your sin. And sometimes the difficulties we experience is because of the result of the sin of people around us or just the effects of sin cosmically, that the world is broken. And then there's Satan. So a church like, church like ours that's, you know, we're going to talk to the Bible and scriptures, um, sometimes leans doctrinally and theologically, which if you're going to talk to the Bible, you've got to say what the Bible teaches. And the Bible teaches that there is a devil whose name is Satan, and he's not for you, and he's not for God. The Bible describes him as someone who's a father of lies, that we would actually believe the lie and be distracted from whatever it is that God has called us to do. The Bible describes him as like a lion who is prowling around, who's looking to destroy or to devour. And, and believe it or not, like the devil and his minions, the demons, like they're real. And there's such a thing as spiritual attack. So we do wage war, but the war is not against the culture. In fact, Ephesians 6 says this about the war in which we rage, rage against. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So we're not looking at the news and going, what people group can we target? We're not looking at people and saying, they're the ultimate issue. We all got issues. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Paul goes on in Ephesians to say, so this is what we need to do. we got to put on the army, uh, the full armor of God. And sadly, because it's been taught so much in youth ministry and in children's ministry that we see something that's just kind of like childish, when Paul is not talking about anything that's childish. He says there is spiritual warfare. And the only weapon you have is the word of God, and the only thing that you have to protect you is prayer. So he says this, pray at all times. Pray at all times. And ultimately, what, what David gets to here is the only thing that is going to redeem, the only thing that's going to make sense, the only thing that we could be centered on is not by our actions, not by our circumstances, not by our emotions and not by our feelings, but ultimately in the power of God, he says, but this, even though the circumstance hasn't changed, look at David's word, but I have trusted, I have had faith in, I will rely on, I will lean my life on, I will sit every single thing that I have upon. I have trusted in the steadfast, your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. Those two beautiful pictures of God's power, the first is steadfast love. And that, that's the Hebrew word hased. This is this beautiful love. This is the loyal love. This is the love that won't quit. This is a love that says, I ain't going anywhere. We have relationships like that, we have friends like that, and we, we, have, we have spouses like that. And David is having um, a moment where he's just relationally a mess. You guys see this? And David, David does that all the time. It's like, David, what's wrong? He's, you know, David, if you read through his psalms, he's saying things that seem like they contradict. Like, God, you're nowhere. You're nowhere, God. I can't see you. But, Lord, I love you so much, right? There's, that you've ever had an argument with someone who you know is not going to leave? Like, you argue the best with that person, Right? People who are like, man, if I say this, I'm never going to talk to them again. But the people you know, that they're going to be with me no matter what. You're going to say some things. You're probably going to regret it, but you're going to say some things, right? You're going to say some things. And then there's that moment that you have with a good friend or with a spouse where you start just rambling, blah, 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 blah. And they don't even say anything because they're so confidently knowing I'm right. And they're calm. And they know somehow you're going to get there and you're going to come back and ask for forgiveness, right? Like I could be talking to Holly and she'll have this, this kind of like, he's going to see. 
And she'll sit there, and I'm just going, like, girl, you need to listen to me. Like, you know, you know listen, look, I'm the man. I'm trying to lead this house, girl. Like, I'm trying to take care of these kids. I'm trying to do my thing, right? And she'll just listen. And you'll, you'll, you'll walk away thinking, yeah, she heard me. And then it'll click, like, wait a minute. She didn't even say anything because, wait, oh, no, baby. <laughs> my bad, right? And I think David is in this, like, Lord, you're nowhere. No one even knows who you are. Open up my eyes. Oh, I can see. I will trust <laughs> In your steadfast love, that has said love, that loyal love that says God's not going to go anywhere. He can handle your mess. He can handle your questions. He can handle your past. He can handle any situation that happens in this country or any other country. Because it's his world and he's the one who's the redeemer. None of us will ever redeem this world. We are not the saviors. We just follow the one who is. We just point to the one who is. He says, this is my power. It's his redeeming love. And he says, ultimately, he will rejoice. David says, I will rejoice in your salvation. The word there is Yeshua. <laughs> Yeshua. Same word we would call Jesus. It means the deliverer. That God is the one who's going to deliver. Who's going to bring healing in, in Orlando ultimately? Who's going to bring justice in Orlando ultimately? Who will heal the gaps and the gaping holes we have of fatherlessness in our country? Who will ultimately heal and mend the broken wounds and scars we have physically and emotionally? Who will ultimately bring healing and hope to those who struggle with physical illnesses for the rest of their life? Who is the ultimate physician? Who is the one who has the love who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you? And that's the honor of the one who shows the Hased love through Jesus Christ on the cross. Not only does he just show us his love, if it's true that sin, Satan, and death are our enemies, on the cross and through the resurrection, Jesus is the one who lets us know that sin no longer has dominion over us. That though we are sinners and our sins are forgiven, it does not reign or have power or rule over us. And that Satan himself will have his head one day crushed. So all he can do is tempt. He can never separate you from the hesed love of God. And when it comes to death, death used to be a finality. But now all it does for those who trust in Christ, it ushers us into his eternal glory in which we will reign and live with him for eternal life, all because of the life, death, and resurrection of our God, Jesus Christ, who shows his face, who draws near, who in his love enlightens our eyes, and ultimately in his love, he dies for us in order that he may bring deliverance for us personally and deliverance and salvation to the world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the life and the love that you have given us. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us eyes to see you, to know you, to trust you. You've given us your word and your spirit to navigate us through tough times. I think you've given us the church as a gift of lament, that not everything is happy and clappy. <laughs> but, Lord, there are moments and seasons, Lord, where we weep. And your word gives us instructions to weep with those who weep. And so, Lord, we weep with the many mothers and fathers who have lost lives. We weep, Father, with those today, Lord, who are mourning and hurting because of illness. We weep with those today, Lord, who are struggling spiritually. We ask that you'd bring deliverance. We ask that you'd bring healing. We ask that the prevailing power and healing power and restorative power of the gospel would be released in your world. That Jesus, who's truly on the, stone, the throne, is an advocate for us, Lord, whose blood speaks a better word. God, may the blood of Jesus speak a better word than anything we read on Twitter, anything we read on Facebook, anything we hear on the news. May your blood speak a better word. Calm our hearts, shepherd us, and lead us. In Christ's name, amen.